Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. Charles Darwin. All right. Well, we are officially wrapping up our off-season previews with the NBA. We've already knocked out four of the six divisions, and we're going to be rounding things out today with the Northwest and the Pacific. So how we're going to go about this is we're not going to put ourselves in the minds of some incompetent GM because that's really not very much fun. We're going to preview this as we would handle it within realistic boundaries. And we're going to start in the Pacific Division from the top where, of course, we have our reigning NBA champions, the LA Lakers who don't have that much cap this year. Presumably, their roster will look pretty similar to what they just won the title with. But, Logan, how do you see them addressing free agency? Uh, Well, free agency specifically, you've got to get Anthony Davis on a new long-term extension. And the rest is really going to come down to who who accepts their player options. Uh, Howard and McGee could leave, so big man is definitely a position they're going to have to look at in free agency and potentially in the draft. I think a cheap option like DeMarcus Cousins, just bringing him in really as a security blanket would be smart. Um, And with Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma struggles from deep in last year's playoffs, uh, they've got to get LeBron some cheap shooters. Obviously, guys like uh, Joe Harris and Bertans would be perfect, but with the cap situation, they're going to have to look outside the box. Um, Isaiah Thomas is an option. He shot 41% last year with Washington, but LeBron and him didn't really work last time in L.A. or Cleveland. Shot 25% and 33% in those stints, but a healthy Isaiah Thomas is still an off-ball weapon and a great secondary ball handler, And and if his defensive limit scare you away, I think the Lakers' third-ranked defense will still pick it up. Um, and if you're not in love with the Isaiah Thomas signing, Justin Holiday, Kent Bazemore, uh, 3 and D guys like that, and Kent Bazemore, or excuse me, Kyle Korver as a just pure blazer, uh, I have heard some Drew Holiday rumors to reunite with Anthony Davis. Um, the cap situation doesn't really make that work, although I think fit-wise it does. You get a defensive guard who can shoot off ball threes and play make a little bit, but why would the Pelicans ever accept another deal with the Lakers? Are they just trying to become the New Orleans Lakers? And besides, what are the Lakers going to give them? They didn't want Kyle Kuzma last year. What makes them think that they'd want Kyle Kuzma now? Either way, 
cap situation kind of handcuffs the Lakers, but there are still cheap options out there on the market and uh, to make them more competitive. But I think they've got to hit their first round pick in the draft. That's what's going to be most important for the Lakers this offseason. Yeah, so there's nothing really all that crazy that they can do in free agency because of obviously cap limitations. I think you re-sign Dwight if you can. If not, it's not the end of the world. You can find another replacement there. But he did pretty much excel in his role as that rim-running, rim-protecting guy. Although it wasn't actually as much rim-running. It was more just his defensive scrapping value on the glass. I think you re-sign Markeith Morris. I don't expect him to particularly run up the tab. I don't think he's going to have a guy who is widely demanded. But obviously, he was productive in stints and was kind of their most consistent three-point shooter throughout the playoffs. So I think that he's the kind of guy you want to bring back. And then... You mentioned Isaiah Thomas. I think that that is a glaring role that they have to fill. And it's not just to me pure shooting. I've talked about this a lot. It's that initiator and that creator off the bench as your sixth man. Because we saw Rondo excel in that role in the playoffs. I just don't think it's sustainable. He was so bad in the regular season. That kind of shooting isn't sustainable from him. That kind of finishing and explosion that he showed. I'm not sure when you're talking about him just being relatively late in his career. We haven't seen that in recent years. So I think they have a couple options. You could try to use the mid-level exception to get a guy like DJ Augustine, who realistically I don't think is signing for that little. I think he's going to do pretty well in this market because he's a good player in a weak group overall. You could go Trey Burke, which I think definitely brings you some offensive explosion, huge defensive issues, but I just feel like they need that creator. My preferred option, though, is what I brought up when we were talking about Brooklyn in our Atlantic Division preview, and it's something that I really think is a win-win for both sides. I think that they should deal Kuzma and Bradley for Spencer Dinwiddie. I get that you don't want to trade with your opponent, with someone who you very well may end up going up against in the final, but you're filling a position of need there. Dinwiddie is the kind of guy who can really give you high-end scoring and playmaking if it's 16 to 18 a game. And yeah, maybe he's not ideal to play alongside LeBron and AD in those big-time closing minutes, but I don't think you need him to. You get 20-something quality minutes from him a game. His contract is an incredible value deal. It's only $11 million. And you're giving up Kuz and Bradley, but obviously we saw that they could win without Bradley. They just did it in this playoff run, even though he was arguably their third best player in the regular season. And Kuzma, I think you can totally find a replacement level guy for if it's some of the guys you mentioned, if it's Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, Torrey Craig, James Ennis, you can use that mid-level exception on them. And those guys will all give you quality minutes. So I like the Dinwiddie deal. I think that even though you are defending your turf as the champions, I'm in favor of going out, taking a risk, trying to extend upon your ceiling because I think he's that kind of dynamic, game-changing player. We talked about it a bit from the Nets side a couple episodes ago. What do you think about the potential there for the Lakers? I think it's a great move for the Lakers. Obviously, we discussed here on Nerd Sesh all season long about how that backup guard spot was a position of need for them. And if they go out and get Dinwiddie, I almost say they've secured a spot in the championship because of how dominant LeBron and AD are in the starting lineup. Dinwiddie gives you that bench scoring, that bench playmaking that elevates the entire squad. My only question would be, do you think the Nets are that eager to give up Dinwiddie for Kuzma and Bradley? I think that he is so far from an ideal fit in Brooklyn where there's only so much ball to go around, and I do think that they prefer Levert as that initiator and playmaker off the bench because it's easier to play him in closing minutes alongside Kyrie and KD. He brings that defensive value. He brings that superior pure three-point shooting. So I think that it's kind of a reality they have to come to terms with. I would rather acquire more quality, malleable wings 
then hold on to a guy like Dinwiddie. Whereas for the Lakers, it's the complete opposite. I feel like they have a number of guys who they can slide into that wing spot. If it's Markeith Morris, if it's a KCP, and we've seen them do that with that success, what they need is that dynamic creator that Dinwiddie is. The Nets sort of already have one, though, in Levert. There's been talk of a potential Chris Paul trade to LA. I don't really think these, there's any merit there because of the complete lack of assets that you talked about earlier. They did trade basically drain them of everything they have. Do you see any world in which that happens? Because that would obviously make them an all-time great team. I just don't see the path. Uh, not to the Lakers, although uh, I'm going to spoil something. I got a I got a spicy Chris Paul trade uh, whipped up for later in this episode. Very interesting. I considered it as well later in the episode, although I actually wouldn't do it if I were the one in charge of the team that I possibly projected it for. I think that this is an arms race, though, and that's why things like this come up. I am in favor because with these two divisions, we're talking about a lot of quality teams that want to contend, and even if you're the reigning champions, I think you can't get complacent. You got to try to get better and retool, and the other opportunity that the Lakers have in this draft is the 28th pick. What do you see them doing there? Uh, I think an ideal fit with this 28th pick is Isaiah Stewart. Uh, just because Anthony Davis doesn't want to run that five spot, it gives you a little bit of flexibility with Howard and McGee and free agency, especially if they re-sign Cousins like I think they should. Um, and Isaiah immediately provides hard-nosed defense in the perimeter, in the post. Um, and his lack of an offensive game isn't really concerning to me because AD is there for the offense. I mean, he was scoring... 30 a game in the playoffs. Um, and if not a big man, I think you just go out and get the best shooter available if you're not feeling it. Uh, Isaiah Joe would work here, Tyshawn Alexander, all of those guys you can just plug in and play alongside LeBron as off-ball shooters because of their ability. Uh, but I think this 28th pick, they've got to hit it on the head with the lack of other um, other paths they can take in this offseason. I am in favor of them bringing back Dwight, which means I don't think they'll really need to fill in that big role because I think that Dwight and JaVale are certainly competent there. I personally, if they do get Dinwiddie in that reality that I am projecting optimistically, then I would say go pick up a wing. I think that Josh Green would be awesome. I'm not sure if he'll still be here. I think most people are higher on him than I am because I don't really like his lack of a handle. I think that we saw that he was a streaky shooter, not an elite shooter by any stretch of the imagination in college. So I don't think he's some home run three and D guy. And I think he's rising because there's sort of a lack of those quality wings in this draft in that stretch when you're looking at the late teens through the end of the first round. But I still think that he has value in LA and can supplement that role. But if they don't go get Dinwiddie, then I think you need that score and facilitator with the second unit. It's what I've harped on time and again with this team. And this is a hugely deep draft for those kind of guys. So if it's Nico Mannion, who's less of that dynamic score, more of that facilitator, I like him more as an overall prospect than the other options here. I don't know if I like him as much as a fit because I really think they need that scoring explosion. So I would look to Malachi Flynn and I would look to Grant Riller. I understand that Riller isn't really projected to be a first round guy at this point. I would not have an issue taking him in the first round. I think that he brings that creation off the bounce, that shot making and a little bit of underrated athleticism, playmaking. So I would be content with any of those guys. The Lakers don't have a second round pick. So Unless they really go out there and take a chance and try to make something happen with a Dinwiddie deal or miraculously a Chris Paul deal or any quality guy who can actually swing a championship kind of deal, they're really not going to look that different the next season. So let's move on to a team that is perhaps on the Lakers level talent-wise, but obviously not as far as what they accomplished this past season. Their counterparts in LA, the Clippers. What do they do this offseason? 
I think they should explore trading Paul George. Now, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to contextualize this. I don't think he's getting traded because the Clippers gave up way too much capital to move him for what would likely be significantly less value. But I think they should at least shop him to see what potential big man might be on the market so you're not dependent on two wings. Now, an ideal trade is Joel Embiid and Josh Richardson, although I don't think the 76ers are accepting. They seem much too invested in Joel Embiid. But a more logical Paul George trade is to the Nuggets. Uh, Jeremy Grant... Gary Harris and the Nuggets' 22 overall pick in this year's draft. You had winged defense with Kawhi, a potential marksman in Gary Harris, and you get a draft pick back for PG. I don't think this is complete value. I think the Nuggets might have to tack on an extra first-round pick to make this go through, but it benefits both sides. You get off of Paul George, obviously you don't get that big man. Maybe you can go after him with the 22nd pick, but the Nuggets get their third guy and can compete in the playoffs. I think it would be a deal that's good for both sides. Now, Regardless of if a Paul George trade goes through, free agency, they've got to try to bring back Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris because they're going to lose Montrez Harrell. They just can't bring him back. Um, and for the rest of their team, I think bench or starter-wise, they've got to get shooters and space creators. Uh, take a look at Carson's favorite free agent, Marco Bellinelli, um, Wander and Gomez if he leaves the Timberwolves. Uh, my Philip Rivers of the NBA, Wesley Matthews, is also an option to space the floor. Uh, and then a bench big man to uh, to replace Harrell. Maybe Myers Leonard if you want to stay all shooting. Or if Jamichael Green opts in, I trust him with his bubble performance to fill in that Montrez Harrell role this upcoming season. So we sort of seamlessly transitioned from the PG trade to then talking about just filling out this roster. I want to probe you a little bit more there because I don't think it's happening. Now this is what we would do if we were GMs, and I don't think that that's a terrible decision to try to move him. But could you clarify that Sixers trade? Because why are they in any world giving up Embiid? I don't know. I just wanted to throw out there. He's the only big man that I could see potentially getting moved out of any of these other stars. Jokic isn't getting moved. Towns isn't getting moved. Embiid, I just feel with Maury in town, they may be a little more inclined. Um, yeah, I, I, the Nuggets trade is a lot more realistic. Yeah, I just don't think that that's you know appropriate value for what Embiid is. And the Nuggets deal is interesting. I think that it would make sense for Denver because we looked a lot at Who's that third guy for them last season during the regular season? They almost were able to get over the hump without him, but I still think adding PG makes them perhaps championship favorites, but I just don't think it's happening. And so I look at the restructuring around Paul George, and the reason I say that is PG is the reason Kawhi went to the Clippers. He was the final selling point. He was the major selling point, and I think that the fact that they sort of scapegoated Doc shows us that they're going to look elsewhere, and I don't think that that's the end of the world for them. I agree with some of the minor free agency moves that you laid out. I think that you bring back Reggie Jackson if he's cheap. I don't love him as a player, but he shot the whites out in the playoffs when he was out there and he's in a limited role and he should be pretty cheap. Marcus Morris, I wasn't a huge fan of when they acquired him midseason because it felt like a little bit of a misuse of assets to give up a pick to get a guy who is basically just another four and would seem a little clunky to play alongside PG and Kawhi, but I think we've seen his defensive versatility his floor spacing, has actually really helped this team. They had a plus 19.5 net rating in the regular season when they played PG, Morris, and Kawhi together, which is completely unreal. And in the playoffs, that was their most common lineup trio, was those three playing together, and they were still plus five as far as net rating. So if it's 10 million or less, I say bring him back. I'm still not in love with him, and I think that obviously he's not going to sustain the kind of shooting we saw from him in the first half of this past season when he was knocking down 44% in New York, but he's still a valuable guy. I think you let Patrick Patterson walk. 
I, you know, he started for them in stretches in the regular season, but I think there's a reason he barely even played in two playoff games. So now this brings us to the good stuff. I want to talk in great detail about the third and fourth bananas in LA, Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, because I think these were two of the most problematic players on this roster. We all talk about playoff P, that's fine. I would argue that both of these guys individually underperformed even more than Paul George did. And they're also this team's two most intriguing assets besides Kawhi and PG. You say that you've sort of come to terms with the fact that they're just going to have to let Trez walk. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't really like how he projects to helping this team win a title. At the same time, it's painful to me to give up an asset for absolutely nothing. So sort of walk me through what you're thinking as far as what they do with Harrell. Well, I mean, a potential option is they could re-sign Harrell and sign and trade him. Obviously, he's not an asset that you just want to let walk, as you said, but uh, I just don't see... I just don't see him making up the money with Jamichael Green opting into his player option and where their cap situation is. Also, I've got a Montrez Harrell plan planned out for another team, which I think makes a lot of sense to help them winning games. Interesting. So here's where I come down on Trez, because I thought about this long and hard. What he did in these playoffs was completely inexcusable, and I think that it showed us that his value as a postseason guy depreciates because of the simplicity of his skill set. He's not a dynamic shooter off the dribble. He's not the kind of guy who's going to create late-game offense for you. And when it comes to matching up against the real contenders in the West, by and large, who have excellent big men, he is unplayable as your defensive center. Gave them 10.5 points and 2.9 rebounds per game in 19 minutes per game in the playoffs with negative 28.5 on off splits, which was essentially the same as what he gave them in last year's playoffs when he was also a huge minus. To go from being the sixth man of the year to a negative when you're on the court, to the point where you're not even playing in crunch time, is a huge condemnation of him, in my opinion. And yet, he is apparently expected to get around $20 million a year in this market. I have zero interest in paying him that, and I'm not sure he actually gets that, because I think that there are huge questions about his value as a winning player, in my opinion, because he's not your starting center as far as your main lineup, in my opinion, and defensively, he just poses issues kind of no matter where he is, although he gives tremendous effort, he's just obviously undersized. But I also, as I mentioned, don't want to lose the asset for nothing. So, I think you have to look at sign-and-trade options. The problem is, I don't really see that team out there who's dying to go get Montrez Harrell, especially a contender. I have heard that the Raptors are interested in Trez, I think that Ibaka would make this Clippers team insane and genuinely maybe my title favorite because to have that kind of floor spacer, but I just don't know why the Raptors would do that. I can't imagine thinking, regardless of regular season production, that Montrez Harrell is a more valuable player when it comes to winning time than Serge Ibaka. The other team that I really looked at for Trez was the Charlotte Hornets because I think that they have a hole to fill at center. Obviously, you don't want Zeller being your long-term guy there. And I think that they have some assets that could be fantastic for the Clippers if it's Terry Rozier, if it's Devontae Graham. That's real value. That's real shot creation, playmaking. Rozier also has shown that he can thrive off the ball and brings that defensive intensity and has been a major playoff contributor in the past. But the thing is, if the Hornets want him, they have the cap to just sign him outright. outright. And I'm not sure the Hornets really do want him. They probably want to draft a center. They probably want Wiseman to be their long-term guy. So... I really want to move Trez because I think that we know what he is in the playoffs. But I just don't think that they can move him. And it's kind of like you said, I don't see that real option for them. At the same time, I kind of feel like they have to bring him back because how do they let him walk for nothing? That's hard for me to stomach. 
I'm going to go ahead and spoil uh, what I have planned for Montrez Harrell. I think that the Suns could maybe make a Sarich deal for Harrell, and I'll get into how the lineup works and all that moving forward, but uh, I think you run him at the four alongside Aiden, it just makes a lot of sense because they already have that flexibility with a guy like Cam Johnson. Depending on what lineup you want to run, you've got three, you've got defense at that four spot. Uh, I'm going to get into it when we get fully talking into the Suns, but I think that's an awesome landing spot for Harrell. It's interesting. I just worry about the lack of spacing, and I think that Harrell is the kind of guy whose production and relative youth and consistent improvement has made him a little bit more intriguing than he should be, I think. And I love Montrez Harrell. Two years ago, I called him, and this is an actual quote from before he was even close to a star in this league, the closest thing we have to Shaq in the modern NBA because of just the authority with which he dunks the ball and how aggressive he is going downhill, even though he's 6'7", and obviously Shaq was a physical behemoth like we've never seen. So that's interesting. My thinking is you have to bring him back, but more importantly, you have to use your mid-level exception to go get Dwight Howard or Mason Plumley if he's at that value or Aaron Baines if he's at that value or Nerlens Noel because to me, you would be foolish to have just endured this postseason and then think, okay, let's go back out there without another great post defender. You need that rim runner. You need that rim protector. And any of those guys bring you that value. I had another real trade option in my mind which I think is actually going to happen if I am the GM. And that's Lou Williams, who is the other asset on this team. Did you consider them moving Lou Will? Not at all. I think he's much too valuable an asset for this team. I think with this free agent market and where we're at, I think it's too hard to go out and find a point guard off the bench that can handle the ball and can run an offense like Lou Will. I think it'd be foolish for the Clippers to move him. So let me make the case then, because I think that his creation is undeniable. It's incredibly valuable, and that is what we see in the regular season. Him and Trez are the most formidable offensive bench duo of all time, probably, because they can just hammer that pick and roll all day. But Lou Will was really bad in the playoffs. Under 13 a game, 42.5% shooting, 23.5% from three, and basically became unplayable because he is so terrible defensively that you can just pick on him time and again. And this is the thing with Trez, with Lou Will, they're dynamic offensively. But they're not nearly as dynamic offensively as Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. So whose hands does the ball end up in? It ends up in Kawhi and PG. So what I want basically from the rest of my lineup is quality defense and floor spacing. And those two in their own respective ways do not provide those things. For Lou Will, obviously, he doesn't provide the defense and he's not exactly a great off-ball mover. And for Trez, he doesn't provide the floor spacing or the defense when you play him at the five. So also... He's obviously an aging guy. I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be at his relative peak. And his contract is incredibly easy to move because he's only getting paid $8 million. You can get a bunch of teams intrigued in taking that. And the first one I look at is a team that you mentioned with a Paul George deal. I think they could possibly move him to the Sixers for Josh Richardson because the contracts are easy to make match up. Obviously, the Sixers are going to really want that spacing and creation because they need that kind of ball handler. And then for the Clippers... You add something defensively. He's not on that level as a ball handler and creator, so I agree with you there. But they're not going to Lou Will much late in games when it really matters. So I just don't think that Lou Will is the kind of guy who's actually going to go out there and win the Clippers playoff games. I have two more options that I considered because I really want to move Lou Will or Trez. I think that it would be foolish to look at last year's roster and say, let's just run it back because I think that there were clear deficiencies there that were not just chemistry or something like that. I thought about a sign and trade with the Magic, For DJ Augustine and a pick, the Magic would sign Augustine. I like Augustine offensively. You're out on that. And I understand it because 
Lou Will is a shiny player. He's obviously really talented. I just don't think he's that much of a winning player. And the issue with Augustine is he doesn't fix the defensive issues really. He's smart. He gives more effort, but he can't change being 5'11 and an unexceptional athlete. So my last option, which is my favorite option, which is the one that I would project, is a deal with the Bucks for Dante DiVincenzo. Because for the Bucks, that's a big upgrade, obviously. That gives them a truly great shot maker, which is exactly what they've needed. And for the Clippers, you gain a versatile option who can handle, who can playmake, who can make shots, who's effective as a cutter, who can play high-level defense. And I think that although you can look at the two and think, is that really commensurate value when it comes to winning? I kind of think it is. Especially if we see DiVincenzo continue to take strides as a pure shooter. And I think if we see him more in that ball handling role... That hasn't really been his gig in Milwaukee, but he excelled in that at Villanova, and he's just a versatile weapon. I saw you shaking your head. Is that the one of the three that you would like the most as well? Oh, the DiVincenzo move has got my—I'm salivating at the DiVincenzo move. Now, he provides tremendous value alongside a guy like Eric Bledsoe. Do you think the Bucks would be just fine? Do the Clippers have to tack on a pick? Do they have to add anything else, or do they expect do they accept Lou Will Dante straight up? I think they do because I think that these are guys who both would sort of be better utilized in the other situation and that the Bucks need that dynamic shot creator because Middleton alone is not enough, obviously. Bledsoe falls apart in the playoffs in that respect. They need a guy who can go out there and get them 20 on any given night. The Clippers, I don't think that's what they really need. DiVincenzo is the Swiss Army knife, and that's what I think they need. So I think it's kind of a win-win for both teams, and... I would like for them to move Trez really to the Hornets. I just, I really like Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham in this situation, but it's just not going to happen. So let's look to the draft now when they really can't do anything of great significance. They pick 57th. Anyone stand out to you there? I think it can be a big draft for them. I I think they have to move up though. They've got to take this 57th pick, tack on another second and move up because there's a lot of good shooters here late in the draft. And I think a Peyton Pritchard, a Grant Riller, a Jameis Ramsey, any of these guys off ball that you can run lineups with late alongside Kawhi and PG. These guys are elite shooters. Um, They know how to get open. I just think when there are that many good shooters in this draft, you can't just stand pat at 57 and wait for... I don't know, Vernon Carey or Adoka Azubuke to fall to you. Go and get your shooter. Go and get someone that you need. And uh, this draft is much too talented for the Clippers to just hang back in the second round. I like that thinking a lot. And I actually think that that makes a lot of sense. I did not project that, however, but I love it because my, and I said this already, but my mentality with these teams is go big, take big swings, try to win championships. That's what you're here to do. And if you don't have a championship caliber roster, yeah, they're close, but I think that there were real flaws. However, I didn't have them taking their risk in the draft. I just said another potential rotation big. If it's Nick Richards, if it's Austin Wiley, those are my default late second round big men. And that's where I'm going for them. Let's move on to the Suns. And I want to start with presumably your Harold Sarich deal, because I think that's probably the biggest move you have lined up for them. But just sort of talk about what you see them doing this offseason. Well, first Dude, I think the Suns got screwed harder than any other team in the West with every other team basically getting better and the Suns streaking through the bubble, not even being able to make the playoffs. They're in a tough spot, but I think there's a way this team is competitive, this team makes the playoffs, and could potentially upset a 1 or 2 seed depending on where they finish out. So I'm not saying they're the 1 or 2 seed. They could upset them potentially because I think no, no, the no. squad... I understood. It was still surprising, <laughs> though. <laughs> 
Well, first with the Harold Sarge deal, I don't think he's still. A, I don't think Sarge is as valuable a piece in Phoenix as he would be in LA. He's got playmaking, he's got shooting, and that's exactly what the Clippers want. If they, I don't think playing him alongside Zubac really works, just because Zubac is not a tremendous defender. But the Clippers are still really good with him on the floor, so. I think Sarge makes a lot of sense just as a spacer and a uh, creator for them. Um, and Harrell here on this team, yes, there are some spacing issues that would be need to be addressed, but alongside DeAndre Aiden, Aiden provides all the offense you need. Harrell can still play that garbage man, Draymond Green role alongside him and give great defense. Obviously, this is all predicated on DeAndre Aiden developing a more consistent three-point shot, so you're not dealing with these spacing issues. But I also have a few other moves lined up that I think makes the Suns extremely competitive. The rest of their free agency investments should be into the defensive side of the ball. And if they can go out and get a guy like Jay Crowder as a 3 and D wing, it elevates their squad immensely. Um, the most important signing they can make, obviously, I said, is uh, Montrezl Harrell. And I want to hear you. I want to hear. Uh, I want you to hear this ten-man lineup that I have for the Phoenix Suns at guard. You've got Rubio and the guy that I have projected for them to take in the draft. They've got D Book and Bridges at the two. Oubre and Crowder at the three, Harrell and Cam Johnson at the four, and if they can bring back Aaron Baines, you run back Aiton and Baines. I think this gives you so much versatility at any time in the floor. Whatever kind of lineup you need, you have three-point shooting fully, you have defense fully. I just think this makes the Suns so dynamic. They have to go out and get him. The Suns are this close to just being on the cusp of being a really good basketball team. We saw it in the bubble um, with these moves. I think it makes them scary. I think it makes them competitive. And uh, the Suns will be a team to watch out for every single game. And I think that the Suns are obviously trying to take that level up because you can only be content in the position they've been in for so long. And obviously they took major strides last season with the strong finish in the bubble. But obviously they want to win. And they want to win now. And I know that the name who has been tossed around the most for them is Christian Wood in that role. I think that... He kind of poses similar issues to what a Montrez Harrell would. And even though I love Christian Wood and I used to really love Montrez Harrell, this is what happens with these guys. They start as these young diamonds in the rough who are progressing quickly and you love them and they're valuable offensively. But these kind of guys, John Collins, I throw into that tier as well, have their issues defensively. If you're paying Wood like 12 million a year, I'd be cool with that. I'm not sure he's a long term starter for them, but he's a dynamic offensive weapon. My issue with that or with the Harold deal or with picking up any other guy of that caliber is, are you putting a ceiling on this team by bringing in all these guys who aren't to me real stars? I think that ultimately it's okay because their ceiling goes with Aiton and whoever their third star ends up being, who I believe is still out there to be acquired. And I think that that's something that they need to, to address, which I will get into when we talk about the draft. I do want to ask you one more question about your Harold projection. What other asset do they give up with Sarge? Because I don't think you're swinging a Sarge for Harrell straight-up deal. Uh, it can't be the 10th pick. You're probably throwing in a first later down the road. Probably want to throw a protection on it. But they do have a lot of guys under contract that maybe the Clippers might be interested in. Uh, you've got Kaminsky. You've got Ty Jerome. Campaign looked all right last year. Um, let, me, let me throw one out there for you, Logan. I think if you re-sign Aaron Baines... That's the kind of guy that the Clippers are looking for. That defensive center who can space the floor. I just think he's such a valuable asset for this Phoenix Suns team, just in relief of DeAndre Ayton. I just love Baines and what he gives any team in the league. Although it, it secures you Montrezl Harrell. And actually, now that you say it, Carson, 
that makes a lot of sense because Harrell can take those backup minutes that Baines is getting. You run him 27-28 a night. Yeah, I think that's the move. I think you throw Sarich and Baines for Harrell. That might. I think the Clippers would accept that. Because I like Baines a lot too. I just question what his long-term role is with this team. Obviously, we saw him play exceptionally well when Aiton was out with the suspension, but I don't know how invested they should be long-term in the 33-year-old who, I don't know what his value is going to be on the open market. I'm interested. Maybe he gets $10 million plus a year, and if that's the case, I think you probably let him walk because they do have limited cap. Just to touch on some of the other free agents who you already mentioned, Carter, I think, should be very cheap and just brings them value with his shooting and his defense. He should be back. Saric, I do not have the same projected trade as you, and I have mixed feelings about him, but I think if you're talking a $7 million a year deal or something around that, I'm in on that. I think his value as a floor spacer and a playmaker is real. I just question the room for him in this offense and in this cap, so if he's going to demand more than that, I wouldn't be huge on bringing him back because I don't, I mean, I don't mind the fit, but I just question the long-term ceiling. And that's my thing. I just want the Suns to be flexible in trying to get a third star because there is no excuse for their goal to not be championship down the road. When you have Devin Booker, who has the potential to be a real generational talent, one of the three or four guys from this era that we are transitioning into, you do not squander that, especially when you have a former number one overall pick on your roster in DeAndre Ayton, who it's been a mixed bag for him, but we saw some real promising things this past season. So I'm going aggressive in the draft. They currently have the 10th pick. What do you see them doing? Uh, I think uh, they have to address the point guard position because Rubio isn't the long-term guy. Um, I've heard Tyrese Halliburton. I've heard Killian Hayes. Definitely take Hayes if he's there, um, or Kyra Lewis Jr. But if I'm the GM of the Phoenix Suns, I'm trading back, maybe with the Celtics for the 14th spot, or if you're that high on this kid, I think you take him at 10. Take Tyrell Terry, please. I mean, I am. I just want to see a backcourt of Devin Booker and Tyrell Terry chucking up threes every moment of a game. And he's the modern point guard role that, that Steph Curry made famous, that Trey Young has made every kid want to play like now these days. Tyrell Terry has that ceiling. And I don't think you can pass that up if you're picking 10th in the draft. And. You already got a guy like Rubio. If Tyrell Terry turns out to be a dud, well, hey, you already got a, cali- a starting caliber guy. You missed your pick. To me, Terry's ceiling is higher than just about everybody in this draft outside of Killian Hayes. Um, I just think that three-point shooting ability in that potential lineup is is too much to pass up on. I like it. And I actually consider Terry because he's one of the more polarizing figures in this draft. I know Kevin O'Connor has him as a top 10 guy. Mike Schmitz of ESPN has him as the 40th ranked player in this class. I am much closer to the KOC alignment there because I think his dynamism as a shooter, you can move him off the ball. But that's part of my thing is he's not really that traditional point guard facilitator. I don't think his passing is where it needs to be to play alongside Devin Booker because There's a reason Rubio's been a great fit alongside Book. He's the kind of guy who will just get him the ball and can facilitate this offense at a high level. But what's going to take the ceiling of this team up another level is having the guy who can do that and can also get you 16-18 a night, get his own buckets regularly in a way that is fluid and dynamic and can also be a weapon off the ball. And everything that I just said, in my opinion, if you also add in length and IQ defensively, lines up exactly with Killian Hayes, who, in my opinion, will not be there at 10. So, I would trade... Kelly Oubre or Cameron Johnson, whoever is more highly valued, plus the 10th pick to move up a few spots and get Killian Hayes. And here's why. And those are real assets. I really like Oubre. I really like Cam Johnson. But if you want a championship ceiling, you need that second high-level ball handler and creator. And you can sit at 10, and you can take Okoro or Neesmith 
or whatever 3 and D guy who very well could be good players, but why? I'm not sure either of those guys are likely to be better than Ubre or Macau Bridges, and certainly not in a way that significantly raises your ceiling, although I do really like Neesmith. I think that he's going to perhaps have a Bertans-type role in this league with a little more defense, but the ceiling isn't there compared to a guy like Killian Hayes. If you can get yourself a kind of Rubio-level playmaker, which I think Hayes can be out of the pick and roll, that dude is brilliant, and he can deliver the ball from a bunch of different angles at 6'5", who can easily coexist, in my opinion, because of his shooting off the ball, that makes life easy on Book. He's maybe not going to be a superstar in this league, but is certainly going to be a heck of a third guy if you're trying to win a title. And with the best version of Hayes, with the best version of Ayton, I think you can be a contender down the road. With Ubre as your third guy, I don't see it. Ubre obviously can be a dynamic scorer and he brings you level defensively, but doesn't have the same overall impact on the game, doesn't have that same command, doesn't have that same closing ability in my opinion. And Book's going to be your guy when it comes down to who do you need to get you a bucket. But to me, there is no comparison as far as offensive influence between a guy like Kelly Oubre and what Killian Hayes can be. It's the difference between the fact that they are probably going to be similar caliber scorers while one could be a top 10 passer in basketball and the other is a below average playmaker. So I think you take a chance there. I think that there is no reason not to do so. And if it's taking Terry... I think that that's sort of similar thinking because you're trying to upgrade at that same position. I'm just against taking another wing to throw in the, into the mix here, which is what I see mocked a lot. I see Okoro going here a lot, and my question is just why? You have Macau Bridges. You have Kelly Oubre. Those guys are probably better than what he's going to be. It shocks me that you move Oubre because I'm so high on him, but you make a lot of sense. He's not going to win a championship as your third star. Uh, while we're on Hayes, though, I want to ask you, Carson, as a basketball expert, how much of a concern is Killian Hayes' dependency on his left hand? I mean, it's a real thing. It's definitely my least favorite thing about him as a prospect, but I think he's so advanced offensively in so many other ways. When you look at his creation, his change in pace, the fact that he's so comfortable with the step back, that is a grown man move. Some of the angles and reads that he finds out of the pick and roll, I think he's going to be really good. But listen, man, the dudes who can only finish with one hand, it's a problem. Look at Marvin Bagley, two years in the league. The dude still doesn't have a right hand, and it's comical because you know he's only going to do the same couple things every time, and some of the shots he tries to finish with his left are hilarious. But I am optimistic that Hayes can grow there. I think he's a hardworking guy. I think he's a smart guy, and he's a really gifted basketball player. So I'm in on Hayes. I've said before, I think there's a clear top six in this class, and he, to me, is one of those six. So the Suns do not have a second-round pick. So this is kind of their chance to make an upgrade. And we'll see what they do in free agency as well. Let's move on to a team who we actually just talked about, one of their ideally foundational pieces in Marvin Bagley, the Sacramento Kings, who have $96.5 million committed right now. Not a huge amount of cap flexibility, but some. What do you see them doing? You know, I make this pitch uh, anytime we bring up the Kings. Uh, fire Luke Walton, first off. Probably the best move for him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but the biggest thing for the Kings this offseason is the impending free agency of... Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, I personally don't think he fits with this team really well, but he's still a valuable asset. I think they should still make a run at him and potentially try to sign and trade. Just because he's so young and you have restricted rights on him, there's no reason not to bring him back and try to deal him. Um, but small forward in the bench, regardless with his cap room, is still going to have to be a focus. I think that Paul Millsap is a guy that they should target in free agency just as a bench defender because of how bad this defense was at times. And they just need veteran leadership in general. Uh, I think they should bring back Kent Bazemore. He's too cheap of a 3 and D option to just let go. And with the money that they do have, 
I think you trade Rashawn Holmes to a contender. Ideally, I'd love to see Holmes play alongside like Steph Curry and uh, Clay Thompson in Golden State. Also, it addresses. Ooh, I'd like that. It addresses a position of need for them. Um, and I think, I think you take a flyer on Christian Wood if you're the Sacramento Kings. And I'm not talking about it, handing him out some big four-year, five-year long deal. Not a Harrison Barnes kind of deal. You give him a one-year, two-year contract. You see what he does. And if he's not any good, just move him or cut him after this year. But alongside Bagley. I think that's a lineup that could work. A couple of guys who can space the floor out. Um, again, obviously, in an ideal world, you don't have an incompetent buffoon as coach in Luke Walton where you're running the biggest drop in pace, Carson. That's what kills me. Third to 23rd. I hate you, Luke Walton. Um, ultimately, I don't see Sacramento as an elite free agency destination. That's why with this cap space, I only see them going out and getting Christian Wood. Um, and... Neither do the players either. They don't see Sacramento as it. But the Kings' success is so much dependent on the draft this season. They cannot blow it. They cannot take Bagley in front of Doncic one more time, even though they have the 12th pick and they're drafting late. They got to make this one count, or the Kings will drift back into obscurity once more for the next decade. It's crazy to me how quickly things turned dark in Sacramento when they were everyone's favorite team a year ago, and now I'm just so cynical about what they have. I don't love the Wood-Bagley fit. My biggest concern is defensively there, and obviously Wood can space the floor. It's not his number one preference, though. He's best as that pick-and-roll big man. And Bagley, we saw it in college. We have not seen it in the NBA. And I worry because he likes to really operate within 15 feet, attacking guys off the dribble and cleaning up on the glass and all that. And I think they might kind of interfere with each other. Also, I don't like either of them as a defensive center. That, to me, would be the kind of move that... You're acquiring another individual talent, but like Bogdanovich, I'm not sure how much he contributes to winning. And so when it comes to me with Bogdanovich, he is obviously the biggest asset who is becoming available from their roster this year, but he's 28 and I think you just know what he is. And I don't think that this Kings team can just run it back again. So in that respect, we are aligned. I would bring back Harry Giles as a smaller deal, but that's why I'm not running the Sacramento Kings because the fact that they declined their team option for him indicates that that is not going to happen, which is immeasurably stupid in my opinion because the dude showed real flashes as a playmaker, as a kind of guy who could run the floor for you, and they just said, no, we have no interest. Was knocking down some mid-range jumpers, no interest. So I think that what this Kings team has to do is try to find a way to unlock their ceiling because unless Bagley becomes a star... Buddy, Buddy Heald got old fast because he was a year older than we actually knew. And I think that you know that he's not suddenly going to turn into an all-NBA guy. Darren Fox didn't exactly take the steps we would have wanted to see this past season. So, unless Bagley becomes that star, I just don't feel great about this team actually being a contender. They can be a low-tier playoff team in the West when these guys are all at their peaks. But even that's not going to happen right now because the West is loaded. So, I think they should let Bogdanovich walk. I think that with that cap that they're going to free up by doing that, they should supplement that wing spot by going and get getting Bertans or, if possible, Jeremy Grant. I think that those are the kind of guys who impact winning more. Obviously, Grant has the two-way ability. Bertans is just such a special off-ball weapon. And then some smaller stuff you could argue backup center is a need, but in my world, they're bringing back Giles. If they don't bring back Giles, maybe you could go try to get Dwight or someone of that tier for the mid-level exception. I would like to also acknowledge that Yogi Ferrell is an expiring contract, but I don't really think that matters. Although I did like Yogi in his earlier years. I think he's sort of drifted into obscurity. So now we're getting into what is going to be the big moneymaker for the Kings this season. And we'll see if they can somehow inject new optimism and bring in a shiny new face who actually makes them feel good about things because they have four draft picks. 
One in the lottery at number 12. Where do you see them going there? Talk about the moneymaker, Carson. Jalen Smith is a money move because it makes too much sense. You pair him and Bagley up, you got a modern three-point shooting and scoring big man duo inside and out. And I thought you talk about the issue with post-defense potentially if you bring in a guy like Christian Wood. I don't think you sacrifice anything on the inside because he was such a tremendous shot blocker and high-motor defender in college. The best thing about Jalen, as you noted, when you call this, I'm going to give you credit. He's your guy, Jalen Smith. He's got such a high ceiling. He's got handle. He can finish. I think Jalen Smith has the potential to be the star of an NBA team one day. And drafting Jalen Smith gives a glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel for Kings fans. And my one hope is that the Kings just don't ruin him. Yeah. I love it. You almost sold me right then. It's not what I have projected, although I did consider it because... Bagley is really not going to be a center in this league, and I hope that he brings that floor spacing, but defensively, he's not there. And Smith is switchable defensively. He's versatile offensively. The thing is, it just sucks because Bagley is handicapping so much of what they can do right now because I think offensively, he kind of has to be your center because he's just going to play inside. But defensively, he can't be that. So that sort of steered me away from them taking Smith because both of those guys, yes, Smith can space the floor, but he'd prefer to be inside. And I don't know if you can have two guys just playing out of the post like that down low. He's not necessarily going to be out of the post, but, you know, interior players as your big men. I think if Neesmith is available, you could definitely take him. I just love Aaron Neesmith. I think that he is far and away the best shooter in this class. And I think his defensive value and athleticism is relatively underrated. Like when I compare him to a Devin Vassell, I prefer him by a lot. I think you could also argue, and this again is the theme of this episode for me. How do these teams actually try to win a championship? Because that's what we're all purportedly trying to do, right? All these teams are taking these big swings to go win a championship. But for the most part, what they do is they look at their core and they say, oh, it's not good enough. And then they just instantly start rebuilding again and they suck and these franchises stay bad forever. But you have some really talented players on your roster right now, especially De'Aaron Fox. That dude could easily be an all-NBA guard down the road. And that's a steep hill to climb because the position's so loaded. But he's that good. And I think when you're looking at that position, you could argue Tyrell Terry, who I considered, because he's explosive and I think that he could fit alongside Fox. Or you could take Tyrese Maxey, who I have grown higher and higher on. I am generally anti-taking high-volume guards who aren't exceptional playmakers for others high in drafts because unless you think they're going to be really great, then it's sort of an overloaded position in the league, right? Very few teams actually need that. But if you want to contend... You have to take swings on those kind of guys who can take you up a level. And he's not an ideal fit alongside Fox, but he's going to be a two offensively. So he's not going to be the one facilitating your offense. That will be De'Aaron Fox. And Maxi is a plus defensively. He's a great one-on-one defender. He's athletic. He gives effort there. And I think that that kind of scoring punch, you need to find that 25-point-per-game score because Buddy's not going to be that. Fox, I'm not optimistic, is going to be that. I think his value will come from his all-around game, his transition dominance, his blend of scoring and playmaking and defense. Maxi to me, could be that guy. And I think that he really could be special. And for that reason, I want them to take a big swing. 35, you're not going to find that star, but maybe a diamond in the rough. Where do you have the Kings going there? I think it, where they are with the small forward position at Harrison Barnes's contract, they just need to start planning for the future there. Um, if Tyler Bay is available, he's kind of positionless. He can run the three through the five, only at 6'7", but he's got upside immediately because of his three and D ability. Um... 
And I think maybe potentially with the other second round pick that they have, uh, Elijah Hughes would be a good option just because he's a pretty decent scorer now. And while I'm not extremely high on him, you know, I'm not extremely high of him immediately coming out of the draft. I think that down the road, his well-rounded scoring ability could, I don't, it could just could pay off. And again, the the Kings need as many small forwards as possible because as a Kings fan, I want Harrison Barnes out of town now. Yeah, that contract is so bad, and it's just emblematic of the kind of stuff that has plagued this team for so long. Even when they get these talented young guys, you see stuff like that because it's still another three years, right, that they're paying him this kind of money? That's inexcusable. That just shouldn't be the case. I have them taking Daniel Oturu. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. I know that you like him as well. I think that fluid, floor-running, rim-running, rim-protecting big man would do a lot for them. They do have two more second-round picks. Let's kind of do those together. 43 and 52, where do you see them going? Like I said, I think uh, 43, Elijah Hughes would be an interesting one. And then with that last one, uh, or 43 if Oturu is available, but I think a lot of teams are going to be pretty high on him as we get closer and closer. Uh, probably just take a point guard that you can maybe trust to run an offense. I think Cassius Winston would be a really good late-round second guy just because while he's not a explosive athlete, he can run a pick-and-roll, he knows how to move the basketball, and he can shoot a little bit. While he's not De'Aaron Fox, he's not going to blow you away with his speed, he's a smart kid, and I know he can run an offense. Yeah, I like Winston there. I think that he's still a little overvalued in this draft. There are still people projecting him on the fringes of the first, which I just do not like at all. 43, I like what you said about Hughes. I'm going to go with the point guard position there, though, because Corey Joseph is solid. Obviously, he's a veteran guy who's high IQ and can facilitate. But if you can get a cheaper, possibly better replacement, that certainly doesn't hurt. And I think that a guy like, I've said his name before, Grant Riller could totally be that if he's available here. If he's not available, Pritchard... Trey Jones, maybe Cassius Winston if he's still there, although I'm not sure he will be even in the mid-second round. And then 52, I just think you add shooting at the wings, Jordan Wara, Cassius Stanley, Sam Merrill, someone like that, whoever's available. That's it for the Kings. I'm not feeling hugely optimistic about them like I would have been a year ago today because not not very many things went well for them. But there is another team that despite having had an atrocious season has a lot of reason for optimism and some high expectations, and that is the Golden State Warriors who are booked up cap-wise. They owe $149 million. Keep in mind, the projected cap is around $109 million. I said $115 in a previous episode because that's sort of what the estimation should have been, but of course, COVID sort of derailed things there. As Actually, no, not COVID, China. Shout out Daryl Morey for that. So since they don't have much cap flexibility, what do you see them doing this offseason? So I throw out my Giannis trade for the Bucks. I think you throw the kitchen sink at Milwaukee. You throw every player on your roster, every possible combination, and see if you can snag Giannis. And I think there's another potential move that the Golden State Warriors could make. Bradley Beal is still, I think, could still potentially get moved. And I just want to see it. I want to see Curry, Thompson, and Beal light up every team for about 80 points a night. Now, are the Washington Wizards ready to give up Bradley Beal for Andrew Wiggins, the second pick, and Juan Toscano-Anderson? No, probably not, but I think you at least try it. So throw throw something at Beal, throw something at Giannis, try to make it work because the Warriors would literally be unstoppable offensively if you could make those things happen. 
The rest of the moves that I have projected for them are low signing free agents like uh, a Mason Plumley because they need another bench big. Um, maybe you look at a guy like Rondé Hollis Jefferson as just a pure defender that you can bring in when you don't need those when you need those heavy defensive lineups. And Brad Wanamaker is a bench ball handler because while I love the Golden State Warriors projected lineup, Curry Thompson, Wiggins Green, maybe Wiseman, Edwards, Avidia, they need another they need bench pieces badly because Carson, I know you experienced it last year just watching that the Golden State Warriors played some of the worst basketball I ever watched last season, and they're bringing a lot of those guys back for this season off the bench. Uh, they need a bench overall. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The problem is there's only so much they can do, which is why they have to draft exceptionally well, and they have to use that mid-level exception because they have no cap flexibility. They can't sign any free agents above that MLE. So I think that there's a couple spots they can go there, but to me... I think wing shooting is huge because if you look at who's currently slated to play there, it's Jordan Poole, who was one of the worst rookies in recent memory last season. It's Damian Lee, who brings some of that dog, who brings some of that playmaking, and occasionally when he's feeling it, that shooting. I don't really want him playing big minutes, though. And then it's Juan Toscano-Anderson, who was a fun story, but I don't exactly want playing big-time minutes when it comes to the playoffs. So, I am a firm believer that the move for them is to bring back Justin Holiday who, of course, was part of the 2014-15 championship squad, a very different player back then. I think he's come a long way. He's the only guy who I really like on this market who I can see realistically accepting the mid-level exception. I don't know what his value is going to be. I think the Pacers would be kind of stupid to let him walk, but you don't know. They're pretty comfortable with their bench unit, and they have other quality guys around him. So that's the only thing I can see them doing. I think the Beal trade that you mentioned is fascinating. I mean... Obviously, Washington seems to be committed to running it back with Wall and Beal, but Wiggins and the second pick, I don't know. That's some real value. I just, I think that Beal's too good for that. I just realized what an Andrew Wiggins to DC trade happens. You have John Wall and Andrew Wiggins, the two worst contracts in basketball. There's no way they yeah. accept that. Yeah, that would actually be pretty brutal. So that's a good point. I, I don't think it happens. I don't know if it's even on the table. I like that you mentioned it, though, because that offense would just be the greatest of all time. Let's look at the draft, though, because that's where the money is going to be made by the front office this time around. They're picking second. What do you think they do there? I've been high on the Denny Avidia camp since you you know steered me in that direction as a Warriors fan, but I don't, there's something about James Wiseman, man. I just... The ceiling that he has, the potential for this offense as a screener is just a pick and popper. If that three point, if that, if his three point shot develops, the spacing that this team will have, I think Wiseman center's always been a position of need um, in this Warriors championship era. Ever since Bogut was gone, um, I think that Wiseman just gives you so many different options. I. I'm between Avidia and Wiseman right now. I think either way they go, it's going to end up well because both of them are tremendous prospects and Golden State is a tremendous organization. They're going to make any of these guys work out regardless. Um, right now, though, I think I'm leaning Wiseman just because I'd rather have him out there than Kevin Looney. He just gives you a different versatility out there. And I don't think I think he's a decent defender as well. I don't think you're sacrificing much by leaving Looney out of the starting five. The Wiseman potential is unreal. When you're talking about the flashes of a handle and jump shot, he's shown the most exceptional big man athlete in this draft at 7-1 with a 7-7 wingspan. There is some real mouthwatering stuff there. I'm not optimistic about how ready he is to contribute immediately, 
And that kind of steers me away from him being a selection for them. I think for a team like the Hornets, where they need to take that gamble on a guy who can be a real superstar, it makes sense. And they have time to work with. The Warriors aren't quite in that same situation. So I sort of see two realities for them. If Anthony Edwards is still there at the second overall pick, take him. I think that he and LaMelo are the two best prospects in this draft. I think that he fills a need for you at the wing spot. And I think that he brings you immediate shooting and quality defense. We didn't necessarily see consistent effort from him there in college, but with a 6'9 wingspan and exceptional athleticism, he can be special there. He can be a real plus. And obviously long-term, he could blossom into a real star with his handle, with his dynamic athleticism, with maybe a little bit of secondary playmaking. I see a lot of Donovan Mitchell in him with a little bit bigger, stronger frame, a little bit less maybe of the same insane shot making. But I don't know what Minnesota's going to do. I know people are saying LaMelo is probably the number one guy in this draft. I doesn't think I don't think that if he's the best prospect, he should just go to the Timberwolves because I don't think he makes sense there. So, in a world where Edwards goes first overall, there's literally no reason for the Warriors to take LaMelo Ball second. It would be stupid, but I do think he's clearly the second best prospect in this draft. So, I think you could swing a trade, maybe with the Chicago Bulls, because I think that when you look at what the Bulls have, I've talked about this before, Kobe White is not a point guard in the NBA. And you have talented scorers on this roster already. What you need is that real dynamic facilitator. And LaMelo Ball could really be that for them. So, let's say you trade down to four. I know that the Denny of Dia hype is at an all-time high right now. And, obviously, I was the one who was partially driving that train early. Because I love the guy. I actually think at four, I would rather have them take Onyeka. Because, you talk about them filling that center role with Wiseman... Onyeka is immediately that switchable defensive force. He's that rim protector. He's that rim runner. And the thing is, with Warrior centers, the reason I was a Wiseman skeptic when people were projecting them to go first overall is the role of the Warrior center has been really simple. It's the reason they've been able to win championships with a guy like Looney at the helm. You basically just need to be able to protect the rim, switch out to the perimeter, and be a role man occasionally. And Looney doesn't even do that all that much. However, I think Onyeka is... Just about as pro-ready as they come. His switchability is special. It's not BAM level. It is BAM-like at times because he's that 6'9 mobile guy. And I still like Denny a lot. And they still need wing depth. But honestly, at this point, I slightly prefer Onyeka as a prospect. And I do want to address that because there was a time when I was hammering Denny first overall. What has happened since then is not that I have suddenly turned anti-Denny. I just thought we were looking at like the worst draft of all time. And he was the only guy who I thought he's going to be a good NBA player. I never saw a superstar ceiling with Denny. I just saw guaranteed good player, which I basically still see. But I'm a lot higher on Onyeka than I was then. And they're going to start Wiggins at the three. I would rather have that strong starting center than a quality sixth man. And so that's where I come down on that. What do you think about a potential trade there? Because the trade back is something that's been thrown around. If Edwards is off the board, I think it's kind of a must-do because why not add that asset and then still get the guy you want? I wish I had pitched that. I mean, <laughs> what I think the <laughs> what I think the really special thing about Okongwu is is you talk about the Bam out of bio comparisons. After Curry and Thompson are done, they, they, obviously they don't have twenty years left. After they're gone, Okongwu could be your building block for the next ten years because he can develop into a guy like Bam who could potentially develop his jump shot, who is already a pretty good playmaker, and as you said, immediately gives you that defense and rebounding that Warrior centers need. Man, I I really want to see, and he played at Southern Cal. I, I'd love yeah, to see I would, I would really like to see it as well. So, 
They do have the 48th pick as well, which feels a little more important than it should because they are just so shallow as far as depth with this team. Where do you see them going there? Uh, you mentioned they need immediate shooting off the bench, and I think Emmanuel quickly would make a lot of sense for a lot of teams in the second round. He's got a long wingspan. He's got a little bit of a handle at 6'3". He can run the one. He can run the two. But he's got tremendous shooting ability, Forty, uh, nearly 43% um, this last season at Kentucky. Um, I think any team that needs a late shooter in the second round should take quickly, but especially for the Warriors that they can nab him because he's just he gives you that 3 and D upside right off the bat. I like it. I am also looking at shooting here because generally in the late second round, that's just what you do, especially for a team that is so sketchy at the wings. I like Jordan Wara. I think that he brings you that guaranteed value as a shooter, and his height to me is just the kind of when I see a 6'9 guy who can shoot the ball like he can, yes, not an exceptional handle, obviously not much playmaking, not much defensive value, but what he does, he does really well, and that is shoot the basketball. I also thought about Cassius Stanley for some 3 and D potential, but I worry a bit about how good Stanley is immediately, and the Warriors aren't exactly looking to wait on some project. That's it for the Pacific Division. Let's get into the Northwest now and start with the Nuggets, who obviously are coming off of a season that went better than just about any of us could have expected, as optimistic as I was about this team because I am in love with many of their best players. They have $108 million committed as far as cap already, but they have some big guys who are about to become available, some big decisions to make in Jeremy Grant, in Mason Plumley, in Paul Millsap, even Torrey Craig. Walk me through where you see them going with all these guys. So... With free agency, I think they have to bring back uh, some good post defenders like Paul Millsap. The Nuggets were significantly better with him on the floor defensively. Uh, I think you got to make a run at Mason Plumlee with how cheap he's going to be and how effective he has been with this lineup. Torrey Craig, I'm not as high on. I could see him leaving for another team, although a lot of other teams like him for that 3 and D value. I think an ideal scenario for the Nuggets this offseason, they bring back Jeremy Grant, and then they tried to deal him alongside with that 22nd pick. Maybe another first-rounder if you're trying to get a guy like Bradley Beal or Paul George, as I said earlier. But I think a more realistic route is Jeremy Grant and a later first or that 22nd pick, depending on if, they want to, if they're want if they really high on a guy now. You go out and you can get Evan Fournier because he gives you that off-ball shooting, playmaking. Uh, I think Fournier, obviously he's not a scorer on the level of a Brad Beal or a Paul George, but he's still a... He's still a solid role player for anybody, and this isn't a third guy that's going to put him over the hump, but they already have a lot of guys like him on the roster in the Gary Harris in a Will Barton who do similar things. Fournier just gives them a lot of flexibility at any point in their lineup. Um, other guys, though, I think that Aaron Baines, Nerlens Noel, Serge Ibaka, Tyson Chandler, other post defenders that they should take a look at, at just because they're, such, they're so cheap, and... I think they need another bench ball handler and bucket getter because Monte Morris is clearly not the guy I want running that second unit. Um, he's restricted Jordan McLaughlin in Minnesota. I think he'd be a good option. But also, I've mentioned him before. I'm probably going to mention him every Nerd Sesh episode. My main man, Cheese, Chris Giazza, could work just about <laughs> anywhere. Monte Morris is better than Cheese. I'm sorry. I hate to break that to you. It's funny that you bring up a Fournier deal because obviously he was a nugget. I have it happening as well in my ideal reality. The thing is, I wouldn't give up Jeremy Grant to do it because you could argue who their third best guy will be with Will Barton back. What we saw from Grant was incredible two-way value, the ability to create for himself when they needed it, and obviously just bring you that elite spot-up shooting. I'm not giving that up. I'm certainly not giving up with a first. So what I have them doing is Gary Harrison a first for Fournier. And maybe you need to give up more than that to sell the Magic because why are they taking on Gary Harris's two-year $40 million deal? 
My argument would be they're not going to bring back Fournier anyways, so they might as well get an asset out of it as far as after this season because Fournier will opt in. I don't think he's in their long-term vision. Maybe that's not enough, but I do think you need to be in asset acquisition mode. When it comes to free agency, Grant to me is priority number one. I really do not want to let him go. I think you pay him $15 million a year if you need to. I don't know how much higher he'll go than that, but you got to bring him back. Plumley, I think, it depends on what his value is on the open market because you're obviously not going to pay him $14 million a year again like you just did, but 8 to 10 I really think is worth it because you can look at his role and say, you just need that rim runner, rim protector. There are guys you can get to do it for cheaper. And there's a certain degree of truth to that. But I don't think there's a better option out there than Mason Plumley because of the playmaking he brings, of the insane effort that is just unparalleled. And I think he has a real chemistry with the guys around him and a cohesion. He kind of feels like an essential Denver nugget to me. He kind of feels like the guy who has to be around there for them. And I would like to bring him back. The odd man out I see in this equation, and maybe you'll disagree with me here, is Paul Millsap, who was brought into Denver as a real star coming off of four straight all-star appearances in Atlanta, and now in his time there, has played an average of 53 games a season, made 38% of his threes where he obviously brings you value there and was just sharpshooting this season, but he's going on 36, and I'm sort of out on the guys whose flaws were exposed in these playoffs. I talked about a couple of them earlier. Paul Millsap, to me, is in that crew. There's a reason he only played 24 minutes a game in the postseason. Only average data game on 40% shooting, 34% from three with negative on-off splits. His defensive value is not what it used to be. And he's still the kind of guy you can throw the ball to in the post and he'll get you a bucket, but you just don't need that when you have Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And I would rather have the kind of fluid, dynamic floor spacer that I think is best around Jokic and Murray because... Yes, Millsap's value as a shooter is there with how he performed this season, but I would rather have a Jeremy Grant or a Michael Porter Jr. in his best version who can make those quick decisions off the catch and be dynamic attacking downhill if people close out too hard or can obviously maybe bring more versatility defensively. MPJ is far from that right now, but in his best version could possibly get there. So unless it's cheap, unless it's like $8 million a year, I don't really want to bring Millsap back. He is a quality piece who, if you can avoid him killing your cap, is worth bringing back, though. Torrey Craig, I'm sort of indifferent to. I wish they could upgrade him for a better shooter because he's just so spotty there, but his defensive value is real. So I think they should probably bring him back just because they can go over the cap to get him. And then it's mid-level exception. Maybe they get Justin Holiday. I would like another wing there, but that's basically it. P.J. Dozier, also a free agent. I would bring him back for cheap. He's not insignificant in a weird way, even though... He's obviously not a big name. He was playing big minutes for this team in the playoffs and showed some playmaking and some shooting. I don't love him, but any other moves that you look for outside of the draft for this Nuggets team? No, I want to ask though, Carson, what do you think Paul Millsap gets on the open market then? I really don't know. I'm fascinated by that because obviously he's coming off of a huge contract, but at 36, I'm not going to give him 15 million plus a year. I just don't see the reason to do that. And yeah, he sort of prototypically fits the bill of some of the things that you want in a modern big where he's, I guess, relatively switchable. I would prefer him as just a straight-up post defender now because he's still strong there and he can space the floor, but he's just not fluid. He's not that mobile at this point, so I don't love him to drive winning, in my opinion. But I do think what we both outlined with the Fournier deal, to me, if you can retain... I mean, just looking at this roster I've projected for them in this ultimate reality... Murray, Fournier, Barton, Grant, Jokic as your starting five with Plumlee, MPJ, Morris, and maybe still Millsap and Craig. If MPJ takes a leap, 
Now you're getting really close to a championship core, and I think that this is one of the questions we've had about this Denver team. Do they need, do they need to go get that third star guy? I think that if you get a guy like Fournier and keep all these other pieces, you're at the point where that's a real championship core, and if you don't win, then you can say you did your best and you tried to get there. If you don't make an aggressive move like that, I'm not sure that's still the case. So if they don't do the Fournier deal, where I have them giving up their first, where I believe you have them giving up their first as well, they will still have the 22nd overall pick. We should probably still project that because odds are they don't do exactly what we want them to. How do you see them going with the 22nd pick? I think they should take Jaden McDaniels. Uh, this team needs a little more wing depth uh, and ball handling off the bench. He provides both. He's a solid three-point shooter. He's got great handle and length, uh, 6'9", nearly a 7-foot wingspan. And more importantly, Denver has been proven to be pretty reliable with you know, projects in the past, like Michael Porter Jr. or Bull Bull. Um, I think he checks a lot of boxes for them in defense, three-point shooting, ball handling. Um, it's another move that I just think makes perfect sense. Love it. That's exactly what I have down as well. I think that he has some real upside. And obviously, every time we talk about him, I don't want to act like it's all roses because the dude got benched on a terrible Washington team. He has flaws, but the potential is real. And when you get him in a great system with the right player development, I think he could be really good. And I still think that they need to take stabs at these guys who have high ceilings. And that's why I saw Tyrese Maxey mock to them in one draft. I mean, that would be beyond a steal at 22, but I'm actually not a fan whatsoever of how he coexists with Murray. They're very similar players in my opinion, but they're both sort of those combo guards who aren't great facilitators for others, although Murray is growing there. I'm just, I'm in on McDaniels. I wrote down Poku to just take another big swing and maybe make them the GOAT offense, but I prefer McDaniels, and I think that he's more projectable to what they're doing. Okay. We just talked about a wing. You know who loves trying to get wings in the draft? The Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's talk about what they have to do. After, obviously, retooling their team entirely last offseason, a couple other big rumors around this team right now. Obviously, they have probably the biggest free agent on the market in Danilo Gallinari. How do you see them handling this whole situation? I think they've got to kick in the full rebuild soon, right? I mean, I projected it last season. I, I had them as the worst team in the NBA. Um but the West isn't getting any easier. The Timberwolves, Grizzlies, Warriors, they're all getting drastically better or fully healthy. It's going to be really hard to make the playoffs if that's the goal with this roster. Personally, I think one of these next two seasons has to be an absolute fire sale. you got to shop Adams, Paul, Schroeder, basically everybody except for SGA. And I think this is the year to move CP3. So many teams have expressed value uh, of him and how, how, high the, the, how highly they think of him. I think this year you get more value back for CP3 than any other year, especially with that bad contract. You free yourself of that. You have cap space for future years. And if I'm the Thunder, I'm trying to move him to Philadelphia because I think with Daryl Morey signing on, he's already traded for Chris Paul once before. I think it just opens the door. Now, an ideal trade for the Thunder, they go out and they get Ben Simmons. I don't know if the 76ers are eager to move him, but obviously if Philly offers you back Tobias Harris or Al Horford, you tell him to leave, hang up the phone, but uh, you try to get Ben Simmons, you swing him to the Sixers, the Bucks, maybe, just get value for Chris Paul this offseason if you want to move him. Um, regardless of if they make the blockbuster deal or not, they need to sign 3 and D guys, they also need to try to bring back Gallinari at all costs, again, just because you don't want to lose that value. 35.5% um, from deep last season as a team, I also think they need to bring back Noel for some post-defense. Um, I really like this unit, Carson. I think with Schroeder and Dort, they have a starting caliber guard tandem coming off of the bench. 
if they can just sign a few forwards that can pop threes, I think this Thunder team will win some games this season. Um, maybe a Dario Sarch if the Suns let him go, a Torrey Craig would be interesting if the Nuggets let him go just because of you expresses uh <laughs> you expresses inconsistency from deep, but Craig is still a decent three point option out there on the market. Um, personally, if I'm the Thunder GM, this is the year. I'm clicking the button, I'm moving everybody, all those draft picks, it's time to build around SGA. Okay, so explain to me then, why are they bringing Gallinari back? Well, no, I'm saying this is, I'm going, these are two directions here. I think me personally as the GM, I'm moving everybody because that's what I would do last season. But I also don't think you just want to let Gallinari walk. If I'm moving everybody, I'm at least going to try to bring him back and pull off a sign-in trade. So here's my concern with that. I think that we saw a really fun season from the Thunder, but I think that what they're valuing now is cap flexibility in the future because Chris Paul is up in two years and I think they'd like to move him before then and I'll talk about that as well Steven Adams is up after this year so as much as I like Gallinari and as much as I harped on not losing the asset for nothing with the Clippers I think that there's a real world in which his value shoots up in this weak market and somebody's willing to pay him way more than you would want to and obviously the Thunder hate ever paying the luxury tax because that's terrifying for a small market team like them. So it hurts because for a team that easily could have won a playoff series without Gallinari, I don't think they're a playoff team at all in this West because it's a slim roster, dude. And I like Darius Basley, and I think that we saw some real flashes from Lou Dort, but obviously neither of them is going to supplement what Gallo did this year. But I think that they probably just let him walk because I really get the sense, as you mentioned, that they want to and should try to build around 22-year-old SGA and the fact that they have this abundance of picks and that younger cast. So their actual free agency is pretty insignificant besides Gallinari. Andre Roberson is a free agent. Let him walk. I just don't care. He's not better than any other replacement-level wing that you have on your team. I would like to re-sign Erlens Noel. I like what he brings defensively. Not the end of the world if you don't. But what I want to get into is the option of a Chris Paul trade because I've talked about how I would love it for Milwaukee and Milwaukee would give back a Middleton and you know whatever else you have to to the Thunder. I don't love that as much from the Thunder's perspective though. I think that they can probably do better than that because they're not really eager to just be a competitive playoff team right now it seems. That's what they were this past season and I respect that but I think long term they have their eyes set on a bigger prize than that. And the rumors that are coming in hot now is that Chris Paul prefers LA or New York as his destination because it has become a reality that he may be moved. The Clippers have no assets except for Trez or Lou. No way the Thunder want that. The Lakers just can't do it. They'd have to send out like seven guys to make the cap work. So it's the Knicks then. And this is apparently where the most advanced conversations have taken place. Let me be very clear. If I'm Leon Rose, in no world am I doing this. In no world am I taking on 35-year-old $40 million Chris Paul. But apparently the offer has been made to the Knicks that Sam Presti is comfortable with, and it's up to Leon Rose to accept. I have no idea what that offer could be. I think that because the Knicks don't really have an abundance of assets, some of the projected things I've seen include Neil Aquina and Knox, and I'm sorry, those dudes aren't assets at this point. I don't want them whatsoever. To me, the best thing they have on the books is the eighth overall pick and maybe some other stuff down the road. What's interesting is, if the Knicks decline their team options on Portis, Gibson, Ellington, and Pinson, then they only have $65 million committed, which means they can take Chris Paul's contract straight up and they don't have to make the salaries match at all. So 
it could be a huge gain for the Thunder as far as the cap that they're paying, and they could basically just trade him for picks. So I think personally, it would be the eighth pick and a first down the road because Chris Paul is a top 15 player in basketball. He's worth that. It's stupid for the Knicks, but it sounds like it might happen. Although it also sounds like it might not. It's really unclear right now. If the Thunder get the eighth overall pick from that deal, theoretically, I would take Killian Hayes 100% if he's there because I think that he's the kind of guard who can really be complimentary to SGA. I'm not sure if SGA is your prototypical point guard down the road, and I just think that Hayes is flexible. Other than that, you could consider Neesmith or Toppin. But if there's no Chris Paul trade and they're still picking 25th, let's talk about what they do there. Although I do have to ask because you were making some expressive faces over there. I mean, do you see any world in which a Knicks-Chris Paul trade happens? I just think the prospect of trading Frank Nittalikina and Kevin Knox, it it just cracks me up. <laughs> no one would accept that deal. <laughs> yeah, it has to center around the eighth overall pick, and in my opinion, more picks down the road. But for the Thunder, if they can literally just have their shot at every young talent over these next six drafts, I don't know why they wouldn't do it, because their star for the future is 22. That's their window. But right now they are picking 25th. Where do you see them going there? I think uh, Killian Tilly makes a lot of sense just as a guy that has a pretty high ceiling moving forward. Um, obviously, with losing Gallinari, you could play him pretty soon alongside Steven Adams with his defensive limitations. But uh, he can pop threes. He has his injury concerns. But the Thunder have so many picks. And this one's at 25. Go ahead and blow it. See what happens. Take a, take a flyer on a guy with some injury concerns but has a pretty high ceiling. Either way, if he's hurt really bad or... His athleticism is not really what his game's about. It's about popping threes. So either way, I think he's a solid contributor on a team if he's not that star that you want him to turn out to be. Interesting. I think if that's higher than I would have Tilly, but also there's not an abundance of guys at that position when you're talking about a floor spacing big in this range of the draft. I think, though, when you look at the Thunder, you always look at them trying to upgrade in the wing spots. It's been the case since they had, obviously... Westbrook and KD when they were starting Tabo Cephalosian, then it was Andre Robertson, and now it's Lou Dort and Darius Baisley. I personally like Bomaro because you can look at a more prototypical 3 and D guy like Josh Green, who everybody and their mother is mocking to the Thunder. I'm sorry. To me, Green is just the definition of the kind of mediocre Thunder wing who would underperform because non-exceptional shooter, not a dynamic creator for himself, doesn't have the handle, doesn't have the playmaking. I'm out on that. And McDaniels, I think, has the higher ceiling. There's potential for the playmaking. I like all that. But, you know, I can't mock McDaniels everywhere, and I'm not sure he'll be there at 25. Bomaro, I think, probably will be. And I think that he can really be a very good NBA player. Crafty, deceptive, creative with the ball in his hands, brings you defensive value, will hopefully improve as a pure shooter. I think that he's the kind of all-around Swiss Army knife that this team needs, and it could be a building block alongside SGA. They also pick 53rd. Where do you see them going there? I think Cassius Stanley would be an interesting guy to take late. Uh, Oklahoma City really liked these athletes. They took Terrence Ferguson really high. Um, and I think I think Cassius Stanley is just a guy that needs coaching, really. Um, not that he didn't get it at Duke. He had you know one of the greatest coaches of all time. But he's a little clueless. I think that a few years under his belt with some veteran guys that you keep on the roster, I think he could be special. But ultimately, if they don't hit on the 52nd pick, it's not that big a deal. I wrote down Stanley as well. I also wrote down Nwora, just those wing shooters. If Nerlens Noel walks, I would make a case for maybe a Nick Richards or an Austin Wiley to supplement that big man role. But really, they're not going to do anything of great significance there, obviously. Okay, 
Let's move on to the Utah Jazz, who obviously had sort of a mixed finish to the season because there was optimism. They went up 3-1. Who knows what that playoff run looks like them looks like for them with Bojan Bogdanovic out there. They don't have really much they can do this free agency or this offseason in general, but with $118 million committed in cap already, with Jordan Clarkson and Emmanuel Moutier expiring, what do you see them doing? Yeah, you got to move somebody or something to re-sign Jordan Clarkson. I think he was too big of a part of this offense last season. Also, there aren't any better point guard options on the market. Uh, I think maybe you explore re-signing Mike Conley, but if he wants any type of money, you just say, all right, Mike, peace. Um, I think that they do need some defensive wings here as well. Maybe you make a run at Josh Jackson or Derek Jones Jr., these guys who aren't going to take a whole lot of contract space. Uh, But honestly, if this Utah Jazz team really wants to make some moves, I think they should move like Tony Bradley in the 23rd pick to the Celtics for the 14th pick. I think the only reason the Celtics would accept this, well, well, they get a pick and then they don't have to bring back Ennis Cantor because Tony Bradley's a solid bench big man. Um, I just think moving up gives them a lot more options than a lot of this top-tier talent. And if you can use your mid-level exception, I think a guy like Marcus Morris would work on this team just for bench scoring. Uh, Maybe a guy like KCP, if you can move him out from Los Angeles. Uh, Like you said, though, not a whole lot of moves to be made with this cap situation, but I think a trade draft night could really benefit this team long-term. Interesting. I think that we have similar thoughts. You got to bring back Clarkson. He's the only one keeping this bench alive. I guess bring back Moutier. I'm kind of indifferent. He had flashes of that dynamic athleticism that made him so exciting as a draft prospect. He also had a lot of ugly moments and still hasn't taken the steps you would want as a shooter. With the mid-level exception, I would probably look at the guy who I've said for damn near every team, Justin Holiday, maybe Marco Bellinelli, maybe Bryn Forbes, any decent wing. I guess that this is probably a conversation for another time, but I just wonder about the ceiling of this Jazz team because with teams that we talked about earlier, like the Suns, like the Kings, or better teams like the Nuggets or the Clippers. I was trying to get them to that championship ceiling, and Gobert and Conley are a year out from expiring right now. They will be up after this season, and those are two guys you've invested highly in who are relatively fundamental to what you do. I don't think that you win a championship with Rudy Gobert as your second-best guy, and maybe you could make the same case for Mitchell as your best guy, but I'm certainly not going to criticize him with what he's done at his young age. And I don't even know what Conley is going forward. He played well in the playoffs, but that was basically just because he was shooting the lights out. It wasn't like we saw some dramatic improvement and flashback to Mike Conley of a couple years ago, in my opinion. So I just don't know where they're headed from here, but I don't think that they're just going to dish those guys this offseason. So they're kind of going to be pretty similar to what they were this past season. And maybe they'll instill some false hope in themselves that Bojan Bogdanovic makes them a top three team in the West if he's there for the playoffs. It's not true. He definitely makes them better, but I think we're aware of that. Okay, 23rd. Where do you see them going in the draft? Uh, So if they don't move up, I think a guy like Tyrell Terry, or I don't think Terry's going to be available at 23. Um, He might. I don't know. There's a wide range for him, I think. (laughs) Uh, Either way, I think they need to address that point guard spot. Um, Cole Anthony could be another one just because of how bad his collegiate career was. I didn't... I had... When we were doing our mock draft, there was no way in my mind that I saw Cole Anthony slipping out of the lottery. It seems like a situation that we're seeing now. Um, Anthony would be, I, I still think he's a top-end talent, and if you can get him late, you can mold him into something else. If they do move up, as I projected, I think a guy like Tyrese Maxey could work just because he's such a good scorer. He can finish at the rack, he can get to the rack, he can run the pick and roll, and he can shoot the lights out when he gets hot. Um, and he's a pretty good defender. Utah loves their defenders. I think Maxey is just such an excellent defender and scorer. Off the bench, immediately, I think he makes an impact for this team. 
I like Maxi a lot as an individual prospect. I question long term the backcourt of Maxi and Mitchell would be interesting, but you don't have that true point guard there. And I think that that's Maxi's ceiling. I think he's going to be a starter, and I think he's trending towards being a star level guy if it works out for him. And I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not going to turn down that kind of talent. I have them going at the wing spot, and you raise a good point with the concern at point guard. I guess for me, even though Jordan Clarkson isn't that facilitator, he kind of fills the point guard role off the bench because he's the ball handler and he's that dynamic scorer. So you could argue Nico Mannion is the kind of guy who would be nice alongside him, but I'm going to go with Jaden McDaniels. I think that he's a long-term piece who we've talked about him at nauseum at this point, but the ceiling is there, the defense is there, and listen, I don't have any problem with Royce O'Neal or a guy like that, but at the very least, this bench needs to improve because after their top six guys, it's a really ugly roster, and we saw that when Nyang and Bradley and Moutier are the only guys who can you can throw in there in a playoff series or Mieoni. It's not ideal. I really don't think there's much more to talk about with Utah. It's going to be a pretty straightforward offseason for them. Let's talk about Portland, who have a couple of expiring deals, notably Hassan Whiteside and Carmelo Anthony. What do you see them doing? Uh, I think the Blazers need to focus completely on three-point shooting and defense. You got Lillard, you got McCollum. They always have the ball in their hands. You don't need another ball handler. Uh, the best thing that this Blazers front office can do is bring in more Gary Trents, more Trevor Reasers, just straight three-point in defense. Uh, I would hope Rodney Hood accepts his player option and comes back. Um, you take a look at some of these other forwards and wings, Joe Harris, Paul Millsap, uh, Jakob Pertl even, if he can somehow get out of San Antonio. All these guys play pretty good defense and they can shoot a little bit. Maybe Chris Dunn, if you're feeling really heavily on the defensive side of things, although he is, he doesn't bring anything to the table offensively. Um, I think that this team uh, is really going to have to hit this uh, number 16 pick right if they want to compete because we're pretty much seeing the same team being run back from last season and they were atrocious defensively in the bubble. So uh, really, they've got to go out and they've got to get defenders this offseason to make up for McCollum, Lillard, Collins, Nurkic. It's it's just not a defensive team and they're going to get beat up long term by these other teams that can slow down their offensive attack. So do you see them letting both Mello and Whiteside walk then? I see Whiteside being let go. I think whatever money he commands, Portland's not going to be interested in bringing him back. I want them to re-sign Carmelo Anthony, but I just I just don't see his role in this team anymore. I mean, you've got a guy like Zach Collins that I think Mello does better things than him. He's a better shooter um, from mid-range. He's a, I would argue he might be a better three-point shooter, but... Uh, I just Melo just doesn't have that versatility at this point in his stage. I think he'd much be he'd be much better suited going to a high end contender like the Los Angeles Lakers um, to be alongside LeBron just as a scoring option. Um, it, the Blazers just don't need another scorer; they need a defender. It's very true. I am emphatically in on letting Whiteside walk, and I think that the Blazers are aware of that. I think that he was a one-year pickup because they knew they wouldn't have Yusuf Nurkic if it were a regular season. They wouldn't have had Nurkic for the entire year, and so it made sense. But uh, obviously, I have no interest in investing in him long-term. You have your guy at the five, and that is that. So bye-bye, Whiteside. When it comes to Melo, I think that obviously we saw him do some awesome things for them offensively when there had previously been some ineptitude as far as shooting from the wings if it was Harkless and Aminu where they brought that defense, but a lot of games could swing on whether or not when the defense collapsed because Dame was attacking downhill were Mo Harkless or were Al Farouk going to make that open shot? And oftentimes they didn't, and that hurt this team. And Melo fixed that because he made some big shots for them, and he brings that spacing. What I want for them, desperately, 
is to bring in a guy who, to me, is that Harkless and Aminu on defense and is that mellow on offense, and that is Jeremy Grant, who I think is the best four kind of guy who is available, and they can get close to making it happen, in my opinion, because Trevor Reza is officially marked down for $12.8 million this year against the cap, but only $1.8 million of that is guaranteed. So if they void the rest, which I'm pretty sure would mean they just cut him, which is not ideal because he's a quality guy and I would like to keep him. But if they were to do that, they would have around $11 million in cap, which is close to Jeremy Grant. But I just don't think it's enough and there's nobody they can really move to clear the space. And the very reason, Logan, why they aren't, let's say, 4 or $5 million more flexible, which I think would be enough to get Jeremy Grant if you're throwing him $15 million a year, is because... They're paying Anderson Verajao and Andrew Nicholson $4.7 million this year, who obviously are nowhere to be seen on their roster. And I actually think that that is going to impact their ceiling as a team this year because a Jeremy Grant signing would be huge. I don't think it happens now. So I do think you bring back Melo because of his value offensively. And we'll see if Collins is their long-term starter at the four. I assume that's what they want to do. And I don't really have an issue with that. He works well enough with Nurkic on both ends, despite the fact that they're both basically seven-footers. But... I think that works because he's versatile enough defensively and offensively. Then to me, outside of Melo, there's not that much they can do. You do have your mid-level exception, though. I think you could argue Olenek is a four who they might want to add, brings that shooting and that toughness. I also think you could argue for a guy to run the second unit because Gary Trent is awesome. He's not really that facilitator yet. Anthony Simons, awesome. Not really that playmaker for others. I would like a more maybe poised veteran guy like a Raul Neto if he's there. Trey Burke, not quite that same guy. He's also more scoring than playmaking, but I just really like Trey Burke offensively. At the wings, you could look at Ennis, you could look at Holiday, but they're not going to do anything huge. Jeremy Grant, to me, would be the move, but I don't think it quite happens. Let's look to the draft, where you talked about them picking 16th. What do you see them doing there? I, I've heard a lot of mocks uh, going with Sadiq Bey or Aaron Neesmith, and while I think both of these guys would be a great pickup for any team, I'm going to go with Precious Achiwa. I think he fits this team better than anybody else in the draft. He gives them immediate post-defense and rebounding. It gets you off of Whiteside. And again, I've said this about Achiwa in the past. I think his defense is already there, so you can play him off the bat immediately as their bench big man. And I think maybe down the road, if Achiwa can develop a little bit more of an offensive game, he could be a replacement for Zach Collins. Here's my concern with Achiwa. Because he's at a position of need at the four, and I've seen this projected in a few places. I like some things about Achua. I like, obviously, his quickness, his mobility, and above all else, his handle for his size. Some of the things he does where he's coming downhill and he hits a nasty spin move. His finishing can be inconsistent, but that stuff is all pretty. My issue is I just don't want another non-floor spacer alongside Dame because we've seen that constricts this offense. When you can attack the high pick and roll and send doubles at Dame when you can leave a guy in the corner because he's not going to punish you. These are the things that turn Portland from an elite offense to an average offense. And one guy I really think can do that because you know the ball is going to be in Dame's hands. If it's not in Dame's hands, it's in CJ's hands. And then it's either pick and roll with Nurk, maybe Nurk gets a post touch, or it's just an open guy making a shot. And I don't really want to take away shot makers from this team. So that's the only reason I'm against a Chua there. The guys who I look at are one guy who you mentioned, Sadiq Bey, who I think relatively low ceiling, but immediate value as a shooter and a defender. So I like that a lot. And the other guy, another person who you mentioned earlier, not for the Blazers, but I think Jalen Smith can bring a lot of what Zach Collins does just better because I would prefer him at the five long-term in this league, just like I would prefer Zach Collins at the five, but that's not the reality 
that the Blazers are working with. They want to play these kind of guys alongside Nurkic, and I think they can. I think that Smith is switchable. He can hang out on the perimeter. His floor spacing is awesome, and it's not his preference to shoot eight threes a game, but you know he can still do it, and he can do it at a high level, and tremendously valuable as a defender, so... I just don't want to compromise shooting ever with this team. I think that that's the kind of thing that has hurt them in the past, and they're not going to win a championship, but they definitely want to be in the playoffs again. They also pick 46th. Where do you see them going there? Uh, I threw out Emmanuel quickly earlier. I think he fits this team uh, as well. Um, he's 6'3". He's got handle. Um, as long as he can improve his... Uh, as long as he provides the same three-point shooting at Kentucky uh, and the same defense, uh, it'd be another great pickup for him. And uh, with this bench unit right now, maybe could be the guy who runs this second unit completely because you talk about Simons and his struggles to run an offense. I think if it quickly can improve his handle, um, he's got everything else already ready to go. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. I am looking at that guard off the bench as well, and I've said his name a few times already today. If Grant Riller is there, give me him. That's a home run. If not, I think Pritchard would be a nice option to run the second unit, or Elijah Hughes just as that versatile Wing, who brings you some shooting, some defense, some playmaking. Last team of the day. One of the most interesting, though, because they have the number one overall pick, and I don't think there's a clear indication of where they're going to go. That is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Let's talk about free agency first, where they have about $13 million in cap. I'm not sure what they'll do there. They don't have a huge amount of exciting options, but how do you see them approaching free agency? Uh, most of their cap is going to get eaten up by uh, Juan Ernan Gomez and Malik Beasley, who they, in my opinion, desperately need to bring back. Ernan Gomez is going to be such a tremendous floor spacer in this starting lineup alongside Towns, Russell, and whoever they draft. Um, and then Beasley just provides scoring at any time he's on the floor. Um, I also think that if James Johnson uh, accepts his player option, I think it's another great asset to add on 12 points per game in 14 games for the Timberwolves. Outside of that, in free agency, I want to see the Timberwolves fully invest in three-point shooting the way we saw. I want the Timberwolves offense to be run the way we saw the Washington Wizards offense run. Straight three-point shooting, fast-paced, high-octane. If they can bring in all these three-point shooters, (laughs) man, I'm just thinking about it. Russell, Towns, Ernan, Gomez. uh, I don't think they can swing a Joe Harris. I don't know why you'd want to go play out in Minnesota anyway. Whoever they bring into, it is going to be a fun electric offense in Minnesota. I love that, and I think that that's the vision for this team as well is just put a bunch of shooters around these guys. Let's score 120 a game. Maybe we let up 121, but that's their playoff map to me. They're not going to suddenly add some brilliant defenders to this roster. I know that you say you like Johnson. I wish that he wasn't getting paid $16 million. That, to me, inhibits what they can do a little bit, but he is still going to be a decent quality player for them. Although as an upgrade at the four, I just talked about him with the Blazers. I would love Jeremy Grant for them. I would love him because he brings that shooting. He brings that a little bit of creation off the dribble for himself as well. And obviously defense like no one else can get. But realistically, they're going to go re-sign Malik Beasley because they just brought him in and he was fantastic for them. And they're going to re-sign Aaron Gomez, who I think obviously has some value as a floor spacer. And that's going to be it for their cap and they're not going to be able to go out there and get a guy like Grant. So then you just have your mid-level exception where I would point to really any quality shooter. If it's Holiday, if it's Forbes, if it's Burke, just go get a guy like that since you have the option to. But obviously what Timberwolves fans' mouths are watering at is the array of options they have at the first overall pick. I sort of hinted at where I see them going earlier. What do you see them doing? 
Uh, I would take Anthony Edwards here just because of the defensive upside that he brings. And you're going to need it in that starting lineup alongside a guy like D'Angelo Russell. You need a dominant defender. I also think that's why Jeremy Grant would be great alongside a guy like Carl Anthony Towns because he picks up for Towns' inefficiencies on defense. Um, I'm not a real I'm not a real big fan of the Wiseman uh, pickup just because I can't imagine a world in where Towns and Wiseman both run the floor. I'm also not a fan of the LaMelo ball here just because that is going to be one of the worst defensive backcourts immediately in the NBA. Uh, Anthony Edwards, great defender, huge athlete, can hit a three-point shot. Uh, if the Timberwolves don't go with Anthony Edwards, I'll be surprised. I think that you talk about the defensive concerns with the Timberwolves' backcourt. Offensively, if they were to take LaMelo, I just don't see how they coexist. I don't see D'Angelo Russell, who is under the impression that he's going to be the offensive star here alongside Carl Anthony Towns and that he'll be able to run pick and roll 12 times a game if he wants to, if not more than that, with Cat, then just say, yeah, I'll move off ball, which is what he'd have to do with LaMelo. That's not happening to me. In Edwards, you have the guy who has more immediate day one value, who I would take as well. I don't know if he's my favorite prospect in this class. I think that him and LaMelo are kind of neck and neck for me, but the fit is so clearly advantageous comparatively. As you mentioned, brings that shooting, brings real defensive potential. Not exactly a great culture for that here in Minnesota. Guys didn't give a lot of effort there last year, but I think that if they're trying to win, he can improve there. And I think that also being the third option is going to help him with what is maybe his biggest concern at this point, which is just shot selection and decision-making, he's not going to be the superstar. He's not going to be trying to force wins like we saw from him at Georgia, which is why I'm not overly concerned about that. Shot selection can sort of be a 50-50 game in college as far as it being a criticism of guys because oftentimes it's driven by situation and immaturity, and sometimes it never gets better. Maybe you're Kevin Knox, or maybe you're someone whose shot selection improved, who I can't think of right now. But I do think this is a good situation for Edwards. I think long-term, he can be a prototypical star wing scorer. I talked about it earlier. I think he can be a Donovan Mitchell-esque kind of player. And I think he is the obvious choice for this team, in my opinion, when you consider fit. They also pick 17th. Where do you see them going there? Uh, I think a guy like Sadiq Bey is the perfect option for them here. Again, immediate 3 and D impact. And it also just... You get to take the dry erase marker. You get to color out uh, Jared Culver's name and wipe him off the screen. Horrible pick. I don't know why they made it. Sadiq Bey will make up for that. He's he's going to immediately be a better player than Jared Culver in the NBA. He's got better size. He's 6'8". He's got a 6'10 wingspan. And he's 21. He played at Villanova. Trust me, this guy's going to be great off the bat. I agree. I really like that pick for them. I think that we talk about the vision of them adding shooting. And Bay does that at a really high level. He also adds defense. And man, I do just have a feeling that Jared Culver is on pace to really be one of the draft busts of this generation. Like, I just don't see the ceiling improving for him. The lack of a jump shot is so alarming. And I just, if he doesn't have that jump shot, he's Evan Turner to me. Even if he maximizes everything else, if he maximizes the playmaking and the defense, he's Evan Turner. That was my concern with him in the draft. And that is just becoming more of a reality they also pick 33rd. What do you see them doing with that pick? Uh, I think a guy like Paul Reed would be great uh, for this team. I- I'm in love with Paul Reed. I think he's a great defender and rebounder off the bat. Just just one of those garbage men who can play great defense. And alongside a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, um, you-, you can play him there. Again, I think it hurts your spacing a little bit. But if you run Paul Reed at the 5 as a bench big man, he can just be that rim-running uh, shot blocker. And again, that's something that this Timberwolves team needs as their bench big man options at this point are, you know, Amari Spellman and Nas Reed. Yeah, and I don't 
hate either of those guys individually. I think that Nas Reed had some really promising stretches, and Spellman, we didn't get to see play in Minnesota, but obviously brings that floor spacing, but I agree, that's a spot where they probably need to upgrade. I like Paul Reed. I went for the third time today, I believe, with Daniel Oturu. I think he's going to be one of the steals of this draft, and I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but I think that he's going to produce, and I think that he's going to be an upgrade there. And I like Reed, but to me, Oturu is just a little more of that traditional big man, and I would like that as a pickup for them. So we're done previewing the offseason for all these teams as we do it. It was a fun adventure, and if you want to hear us talk about any of the other 20 teams who we didn't highlight today, you can just refer back to our previous episodes Any takeaways from this whole adventure, this saga, as we now head into the real thing with the draft just a couple weeks out? This might be the most fast-paced, chaotic offseason we've ever seen. Yes, I think that is pretty safe to say. And it also, at the end of the day, might be one of the more uneventful at the same time because of the free agents who who are on the market. At the same time, we got a bunch of teams trying to contend. And the modern day NBA is driven by big risks and stars moving and all this stuff. And it's going to be a fascinating draft. So we will talk in great detail about that draft next week as we prepare for the real thing to actually happen. But that will do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.